The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Maybe uh, in your Bible, taken up to heaven, just draw a line from those words right there down to verses 9 through 11, because taken up to heaven is we're going to see what happens when he ascends above the Mount of Olives. Uh, That's all going to be illustrated for us. We're going to look at that in a second. But uh, during the 40 days, look at verse 2 now, after his crucifixion, he appeared to the disciples from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come? When is this going to happen, this kingdom of God? When's it going to happen for you to free Israel, restore our kingdom? He replied, none of your business, which is what it says in the Greek language that the Bible is written in. But what's actually written here is, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the last couple of weeks, with uh, Justin a couple of weeks ago, with Mike here last week, we talked about this, this mission of God and the promised Holy Spirit to come. Uh, you'll see there on, your, uh, on the back of your program, if you're watching with us online, get, put a pause on this, go get something to write some things down with, or download our note sheet. You'll see it there, it says, I guarantee it. Jesus doesn't so much make commands here as he pronounces certain things. It's, I guarantee this is going to happen. Three big guarantees he makes here. He says, number one, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Number two, you're going to receive power. And number three, you're going to be witnesses. And this thing is going to go everywhere. This is not a command like, come on, get going, get the Holy Spirit, get out there and spread the word. He said, no, I guarantee this is going to happen. First three guarantees that he makes. And now he makes a big fourth guarantee. Look at verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heavens, two white-robed men, boom, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Here's what's happening here. Jesus had died and risen again. Gave him proof that he was alive, but here's what's happened. Jesus would all of a sudden just, bam, show up in a room. They're sitting there eating, just bam, Jesus is there. And then he'd, bam, disappear. One time they're out fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is on the seashore. Another time, two dudes are walking down the road, and boom, Jesus is there. And then they sit down to eat dinner that night, and boom, Jesus is gone. So he's like popping in and out. Boom, boom, here, there, and everywhere. And now he's not just popping in and going out. Now all of a sudden, it's like, hey, he's leaving this time. But this time, he's not going to be popping back in and out like that anymore. He is gradually taken up with a sense of certainty and finality. And they're going, looking and seeing him go and wondering, that would be a trip. If all of a sudden I started levitating here and the 
Roof opened up and just, you'd be going, what just happened here? It was weird that he was popping in and out all the time. Now he's raising up. And next thing you know, there's two shiny dudes like angels sitting there going, why are you staring to heaven? Going, dude, I know we're staring to heaven because he just rose above the ground. He says in a, the saying here is like, this is not going to keep happening. There's a sense of finality about this, but he's not going away never to be seen again. Here's the cheesy Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator title reference to pop culture here. The fourth guarantee is I'll be back. He said, I'm coming back someday. I'm not, I'm not gone forever. I'll be, be back. And so he ascends back up and, and the angels there say, hey, he'll be back. But Jesus had said it many times. And so for the next few minutes here, I want to take some time with you and jump out of the book of Acts where, where these, the angels said he'll be back someday in the same way you saw him go up in the clouds like that. He's coming back that same way someday. I'll take you through some other scriptures now. And so get your Bibles out, navigate around. We have free internet here. You don't have to even sign up for anything. So get your phone or mobile device. I want you scanning around and seeing this for yourself. Some of the verses will be up on the screen, but we never want you just to rely on that and just take our word for it. Just goes go up on the screen. I want you to see it out of the Bible. Uh, in John 14, verse 3. In John 14, uh, Jesus had said, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he said that because he told them, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. I'm not going to stay around here forever. Don't, he said, don't, but don't, don't be troubled. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that someday I'm going to come and get you, and you're going to be forever with me where I am. He said, I'm leaving, but I will be coming back. And when Jesus came the first time, he came in mystery and obscurity. A little baby born in a little stable cave house in Bethlehem cute little baby Jesus in the manger. He says, the next time he comes, it ain't going to be with obscurity and mystery. It's going to be dramatic and no doubt about it. Uh, there's some verses uh, on your note sheet there uh, from Matthew and Mark and Luke. It's called the Olivet Discourse. The reason it's called the Olivet Discourse is because it happened on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus gave a whole big long sermon there with just his disciples said, hey, here's what it's going to be. I'm going to leave when I come back someday. And he goes on to describe crazy things that are going to be happening in the world. And yet not so crazy because he says in some ways it's going to be just like normal. Like life's just kind of going on. Everybody's going, doing, getting married and going to work and making money and going to wineries and doing their deal. He says it's going to be just like that when I come back someday. But it's the crazy stuff is going to be going on. Look at Matthew 24. Read the whole thing on your own. We're not going to read the whole thing today. But I've put the verses there because I'm telling you, you want to see this for yourself. Matthew 24. He says in verse 26, if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he's hiding over here. What he's saying here is it's not going to be some secret, quiet little over there in a cave, over there in Bethlehem, over there. He said, no, no. When Jesus comes back again, he says, for as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, Saul will be when the Son of Man comes. He said, it's going to be dramatic. Just like when you see like a lightning storm and it goes, and it lights up the whole sky and everybody can see it all at once. That's how it's going to be big and dramatic. Look at verse 30. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there'll be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see 
the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Flip to Revelation. Go fast. Otherwise, you're going to be here <laughs> till tomorrow. Um, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Uh, Revelation chapter 1. It kind of is repeated there. Revelation 1 verse 7, John is seeing a vision. He's on the island of Patmos in exile, uh, like in a prison, a prison penal colony because of his faith in Jesus. And he has this big vision of Jesus. Read Revelation sometime. It's amazing. It says, verse 7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. You know what he's saying there is? At some point, Jesus is coming back and there'll be no doubt about it. When he comes back, it says, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says it this way. Someday he's coming and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, not Vladimir Putin, not, not any, the, the kingdoms of this world, that religion and that religion, all that stuff that they do out there, there's going to be one king and one Lord over the universe, he says, and every knee will bow. Some people will bow in rejoicing, and some people will bow in rebellion, not submitting to Jesus, but every knee is going down, he says, because they're going to see him all at once at the end of the age. 1 Corinthians 15 kind of describes in some detail about how that's, this is going to go down. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I should hear pages turning, but I'll just work with me here. Online, flip your pages and get there. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Paul's going, hey, hey, this is a crazy secret. Hardly anybody knows this. Let me tell you how it's going to go down. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. You know what that means for you someday? Those of you who are working out, going to the gym, someday you're going to have a heavenly body. You may not have a heavenly body right now. Someday the heavenly body is coming. The immortal, you're going to have an immortal body. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Paul also described this a few pages to the right. Find the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We tell you this, look at verse, I'm sorry, verse 15. Verse, Paul says, I'll tell you this directly from the Lord. What he's saying here is, this is not something God just kind of spoke into my heart and revealed to me by his spirit that I'm writing down. It's a lot of what the letters of the Bible are, is God just spoke through his spirit into their hearts. He said, no, no, Jesus told us this word for word. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. He already said that in Corinthians, right? Hey, the dead are going to rise first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with him, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another, encourage each other with these words. When Jesus comes back someday, it's going to be big, dramatic, no doubt about it. And again, when we tend to hear about uh, Jesus in our culture, in our world, we have kind of two ideas, in the West especially, of images of Jesus. 
We have uh, the, the Will Ferrell, Talladega Knights, you know, six pound, 10 ounce gold plated baby Jesus in a manger just sitting there, a little halo above his head and just demurely looking up at his mother. Real picture, Jesus, baby Jesus in manger. Or we have what I have coined as the Yoda Brad Pitt Jesus in our culture. We have the Yoda Jesus, the Jesus that's deep, says all these deep, insightful, amazing things. Oh, love your neighbors, I say to you. I can't even do a good Yoda voice, but just work with me. And then we also imagine him as a bit like Brad Pitt or whoever the modern day hot people are, movie stars are, with, with product in their hair, with perfectly chiseled features, even though Isaiah tells us that when a Messiah comes, there'll be nothing exciting about his appearance. We in the West have said, well, he's got to be a celebrity, so he's got to look cool and sexy and hot and amazing in order for me to follow him. You know, he's nothing about that. He doesn't have any of that about him. Um, Revelation gives us a picture of Jesus. Revelation 1, read it sometime, uh, but I want you to see it in Revelation 19. The image of when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back, humble baby Jesus in a manger. Look at Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And when we, we think crowns, we think of those big gold, you know, like the family, the, like you see in England. Back, back then, they were more big, big wreaths of crowns, symbolizing their rule and reign over particular territories or particular kingdoms. He said he's going to have many crowns because he rules over all the kingdoms of the world. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. John chapter 1, John tells us he is the Word of God. The Word became flesh. The Word that spoke the universe into existence. This is the Word of God. And when it says here, his, he wore a robe dipped in blood, that's not your blood. Don't, don't miss this. It's not even the blood of, your, of, of his enemies. You know whose blood it is? His. This is the gospel that the reason the, how Jesus rules and reigns over the universe is he laid his own life down and his robe is dipped in his blood. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horse, which is kind of weird when you think about, okay, the armies of heaven going into battle, you don't wear white linen robes to go into battle. Those of you in the army know that, you don't wear white linen robes. You, we, we, here's what's going to happen. There, there's a... The, in Revelation, it talks about this great last battle at the Battle of Armageddon. It's going to be this amazing war and this big fight between good and evil. You know what happens at the Battle of Armageddon? Nothing. The, ar the armies of, of the universe show up to, 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 to fight war against God. And you know how Jesus beats them? Look what it says here. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Now, Jesus himself does not actually have a sword going wah, 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 out of his mouth. What they're saying is what he stands up and does is his word has the authority of a sword to go, that's it done. And the battle's over. And he wins. He doesn't have to fight. There's nothing that needs to happen there. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written his title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That's who's coming back someday. That's who we're going to see and says everybody's going to see him and rejoice or tremble or rejoice with trembling that's the Jesus coming back dramatic and no doubt. And yet, there's this weird paradox about this because it's dramatic and no doubt, and yet Jesus also says it's going to be unpredictable and unknown. The timing of it. 
You remember back here in Acts? In Acts chapter 1. Let me get back there and remember what verse it is. Where they go, Lord, when's it going to happen? Is, is it now? When, when are you going to do this? And look, every generation of Christians from the first generation until the one we're in right now, guess what they all think about when Jesus is coming back in their lifetime? We're the generation. Here's the deal today, you guys. I'm going to make you a prediction today uh, to kind of go because people wonder, okay, so the, is the return of Christ, you know, Israel came back as a nation, all these signs have happened and we can find it in Daniel and all this kind of stuff. And so is, is the return of Christ in our generation or is it going to be 5,000 years from now? And the answer is yes. It could absolutely be in our generation. It could absolutely be in 20, 30, 40 years. It could happen before you get out of this building today. It could happen like that or it could be 1,000 years from now. We have no idea of the timing. And Jesus, even, well, let's just see what it says here. Um, is it now? In Matthew, uh, there's some verses on your note sheet there. We're not going to look at, at any of them in detail, but Matthew 24, 43, Revelation 16, 15, 2 Peter 3, 10, and 1 Thessalonians 5 are just a few of the verses where, where the writers of Scripture, where people tell us, you know, when Jesus comes, it's going to be like a thief. He said, and if we knew when the thief was going to show up, we'd have been ready for him. But he said, Jesus is going to show up, and it's going to surprise everybody because thieves don't advertise when they're showing up at your house. They just show up. That's the reason they're successful. They're not saying Jesus is coming to rip us off. He's just saying it's going to be unexpected like that. You're just not going to know the specific time of when and how that's all going to go down. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Look at verse 36. In case we missed it in Acts, I want you to see here in Matthew 24, verse 36. However... No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Talking about the return of Christ. No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Which means, for the next time somebody tells you, then when Jesus is coming back, you're going, so you know more than Jesus does. Not even Jesus knows when he's coming back. And he's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. Jesus said, I don't know that. The Father has reserved that for his own discretion. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So in some ways, there's these crazy dramatic signs in the universe, and this is the moon turns to blood and crazy radical stuff going on. And in some ways, people just chilling out, playing golf, going to wineries, eating dinner, Watching TV, just chilling out, and boom, like that. It's going to happen unexpectedly. What he's telling us here is don't get preoccupied with trying to predict the time frame. And don't get preoccupied as you read the book of Revelation with what does 666 mean? And what does the mark of the beast mean? And who is the Antichrist? And what's the 10th toenail on the 7th beast that comes out of the pit? What, is that, what does that all that mean? It's like that's not the deal. The whole point of all this stuff of Jesus coming back someday is not for us to get obsessed and speculate and, and make predictions about what those things mean and the predictions. What it's designed to do is not to, to make us speculate and predict as much as it is to help shift our perspective. To give us a brand new perspective that says this life is, is going to come to an end someday. This world uh, the age of men and the age of the sin and rebellion of the human race, at some point that's going to come to an end. And he's going to tell us here, 
Uh, in Matthew 24, verse 12, he says, the love of many will go cold. Matthew 24, 42, he says, hey, keep watch. You don't know when this is going to happen. He tells the story of, hey, keep oil. You're like people waiting for the, the, the bride, the, the groom to show up for the, the wedding. And he's taking a long time. It's going to be easy to let, your, let it go out. Uh, the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, don't miss this. It says this. He says, in, in, the, in the last days, which is we've been in the last days since the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We've been in the last days now for 2,000 years. And it feels like you hear sometimes, uh, those of you that grew up going to church, if you haven't grown up going to church, you will hear people like me say this all the time. Jesus says, I'm coming. And the Bible tells not just coming, but coming soon. And I think, soon? Obviously, my time frame is different than Jesus's because 2,000 years is not soon for me. But in those same verses where Jesus says, I'm coming soon, he, he, the writers follow up and say, the day, uh, 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 with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So you go, well, that's because Jesus is, uh, God's, uh, he's never late, but he's hardly ever early. He's hardly ever going to come in our time frame when we expect. And he says, because of that, what's going to happen is scoffers will come along and go, you Christians, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 are going to say, come on. You Christians have been saying, Jesus is coming back soon someday, blah, blah, blah. Where's this coming that he promised? You've been saying for 2,000 years. And the truth is, from time to time, we can get that same way. Maybe not quite that aggressive and that like, eh. But, but like, okay, 2,000 years. Aren't there other things to worry about besides the return of Christ? Because it obviously isn't going to happen anytime soon because it's been 2,000 years at least since he said it was going to happen. He says, oh, be, be careful. Don't, don't let your love grow cold. Don't, don't lose your perspective. He says, I want you to understand that Jesus is coming back. And what, that, what he's telling us to do is prepare yourself. Get new perspective to prepare yourself for what's about to happen. Write this down today on your note sheet. The first thing to write down here. Unpredictable does not excuse being unproductive or unprepared. Jesus coming back someday is unpredictable Unpredictable does not excuse our being unproductive or unprepared. What will happen here is to recognize, hey, Jesus is coming back someday, so prepare yourself. Get prepared. And what he's going to say is, when you get it, look at me. Eyes on me for a second here. All of you, online, here in the house. When you get it in your soul that Jesus is coming back someday, that's a new perspective that will shift all your priorities. And it doesn't mean like, oh gosh, I got a checklist of religious duties I have to do. No, no. That perspective will change everything. And here's my quick little sermon in a sentence. Don't write them all down. You can write them all down. They'll come up on the screen one at a time. That perspective will give you different priorities about purity, about perseverance, and about productivity. Let me take you through those really quickly. The first one is when you get that Jesus is coming back someday, you prepare yourself with new priorities about purity. First uh, John, got verses on this stuff. First John is a little uh, letter written. It's towards the end of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Just go backwards from there. I want you to see this verse because this verse rocked my world when I was like 19 or 20 years old. And it still rocks my world today, all these years later. First John chapter 2 says it this way. Look at verse 28. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that... When he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. 
since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. He's saying, look, you don't want to be ashamed when Jesus comes back. Don't let your love burn out. Don't let your love grow cold. Make purity and righteousness be the pursuit of your life. And then he goes on to say, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that's what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know, circle, highlight, underline, arrows around this. We do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. See, the the beauty of this is God comes to change us. When you give your life to Jesus, he comes to change your life. But far too often, we have made... We have made this journey of Christianity a checklist, a list of don't do this and you better do that. And Jesus is like Santa Claus. He's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. That is not God's goal for you, to make you a naughty or nice person. You know what God's goal for you is to make you just like Jesus. And to be with Jesus forever and to make you just like him. That's what heaven is going to be all about. So what he's telling you is get ready. That's, That's coming someday. And you can get a head start. You don't have to wait till you get to the end of your life for that to happen. You can get started on that, get a jump start on eternity right now. And what the Bible is going to tell us is the things you do on this little flash of a life that we have right now will last forever into eternity. So the purity and the righteousness and the, the kind of fancy stained glass word of holiness that you practice in your life right now will, will have dramatic, in, dramatic impact forever someday. It means this. It means I'm going to be I'm going to fight to be more and more like Jesus. I'm going to get after that. I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit back and just go, well, you know what? We're just all Christians. We're just, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. We're all just Christians saved by grace and be like, uh, oh, well, about sin. No way. It's like, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to fight. A guy in my small group, Rick, who's got renewed faith in his life, he was talking about some things that have changed in his life. He says, I'm no longer going to be messing around with sin. I want to get after this stuff of God changing my life because I want to become like Jesus. And what that means for us, (laughs) in the world that we live in, guys, I don't know if you've seen this, for a period of time somewhere in some of our lifetimes, maybe we were a Christian-ish nation. America was a Christian nation, one nation under God. I think we probably need to apologize to God for having that in our Pledge of Allegiance because I'm not sure it's true anymore. But even if that was the case for some time, that's not going to be the case for very much longer. Christendom, as a dominant cultural thing in our culture, is dying a very quick death. And that's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good thing for us. But what that means for you and for me is that more and more being a Christian following Jesus is going to be weird, is going to be uncool, and none of us like that. Because we say we don't care what people think about us until somebody we really respect and like thinks something about us or posts something about us or because of our particular stance or beliefs on particular issues. We need to give up being trying to be cool and hip and relevant. Look, trust me, people that are hip and cool and relevant don't get, don't get crucified on a cross. Our dude got crucified on a cross. Not hip and cool and relevant. Just give up on looking hip and cool and just be a little weird. And just be, look, don't try to be weird. 
Just follow Jesus and recognize that'll be weird sometimes. And just be okay with that. It, 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 when you get to Jesus coming back someday, you get the perspective on, I've I got new priorities when it comes to purity. It also gives us new perspective, number two there, on perseverance. Is that it's so easy living in this world for, the, for either the temptations of this world to get us to, to compromise our faith or the trials and tribulations of this world to get us to compromise our faith. He says, oh, no, no, don't, don't give up. Uh, and there's some verses there in Revelation chapter 2 where, where he talks about this. Revelation 2, verse 3, he says this, you've patiently and suffered for me without quitting. Verse 10, he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Verse uh, 13, he says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you've remained loyal to me. You refused to, die, to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. He says, look, trials and tribulations are part of the deal. I don't know if you know this or not, but the dude we follow got crucified on a cross. And when he got crucified on a cross, here's what's beautiful about that. It's not just, well, that's who we follow. It's like, you know how he conquered sin and evil? Not through like coming over it and triumphing and everything. He's hip and cool and relevant and, and, and overcoming all that. He submitted to trials and tribulation and suffering, and that's how he conquered sin and death. And you know how you're going to conquer sin and death in your life? Trials, tribulation, and suffering. That's going to be part of the deal sometime. I told you a couple weeks ago that one of the great messages of our Bible, of our scriptures, is things are not as they seem. Because Jesus is risen, Jesus is king. What that means for you and me is that when you suffer persecution, and again, I'm not sure we suffer much persecution, but, but even let's say, even this year, some of the things that have gone on with the restrictions on church gatherings and mask wearing and all, let's just say that's persecution. We know it's a tribulation and trial. What if we could see persecution? What if we could see trials and tribulations not as something like, oh God, there it goes again. What if we could see it as a privilege? Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, the disciples were hauled in front of the authorities and they beat them for being Christians. And it says the disciples left there rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Christ. What if we could say, look, you know what? I think this mask wearing thing is stupid. I think all the restrictions on business and all that, and I hate it, I don't like it. But what if we said, oh God, when's it going to be over? I go, what a privilege. To see perseverance through trials and suffering is a privilege. Because you know what perseverance and trials do, does for you? Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, and James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12 says this. Rejoice when you go through trials. Not because you like the trials, but because you see what the trials do for you. Stuff happens in the trials and the fire that doesn't happen when life is just smooth and going along and easy. And in the midst of the trials, we don't like it. I don't mean you have to like it, but you can have a sense of joy. And here's the joy is you see what it does for you. And I think it also gives us a sense of solidarity with Jesus. That when I go through things, when I suffer, I've had conversations with different people here at Cross, but I see some of your faces right out here today. And you've suffered some difficult things even in your family. And just go, look, Jesus promised this. He said the way of Jesus from time to time is not going to be smooth and easy. From time to time, you're going to suffer tribulation. So we persevere in those trials, and we start to see suffering not as just something to endure, but as a privilege. That God gives us the privilege of suffering now, because that does stuff to my faith, to purify my faith in a way that nothing else can. And then thirdly, not only do we have new priorities of purity 
and new priorities of, product, of, of perseverance. We have the new pr uh, priority of productivity. And sorry, I just can't help myself. They all start with P. It just kind of happened that way. Productivity. Uh, Matthew 25, I'm not going to read it because I want you to read it for yourself. Jesus tells a story of what it's going to be like. He says, the owner of the company left all of his resources in the hands of his employees. He says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back again someday. You get the parallel here? Jesus, I'm leaving all my stuff with you. I'm going away. I'm coming back someday. He says, look, and I come back someday. I want to see what you've done with what I've given you. This is the idea of the question of stewardship. And the question we have when it comes to what God has entrusted us is, is am I a consumer or am I a steward? The American dream has lied to you and tells you all that you have is there for you to consume just for, it's all supposed to terminate on you. And Jesus says, no, no, I got a better thing for you. This is investment counsel from King Jesus today. Some investment counsel about how to invest your time, your talent, and your resources. Like he says, look, enjoy them. Enjoy the blessings of God. Your home, <laughs> your 95-inch television, your, your backyard pool, your patio, everything that God has given you, use it for your enjoyment. But then ask yourself the question, how am I using this for eternal purposes? That it's not just about this life. And what Jesus says is how you invest your time, talent, and treasure in this world, in this world right here right now, isn't just about this world right now. He says, look, God's keeping track of that. Read Matthew 25. He says, look, there's great reward coming someday for, for investing yourself. And you guys give here. You serve here. And I want you to see this. Don't, don't miss this. We sometimes think, well, look at me. I don't have very much. We, just, we have just a minor amount of time or talent or treasure. Jesus says, don't worry about the amount. Matthew 10, verse 42, Jesus says this. Even a cup of cold water given in my name is noticed by God, is being kept track of in heaven's ledgers, and will be rewarded someday. That means for those of you that got here early and strung cables to make the TV work outside, in Jesus' name, God goes, keep track of that. Getting the cold beverages out there. People running sound and making the media work in Jesus' name. God's keeping track of all of that. You small group leaders that are leading small groups. All the things, simple things that you do in the name of Jesus. Like, look, there is reward. You are preparing yourself for what's coming in the next life. And I want to tell you today, Sometimes they think, well, we've got to get prepared for heaven. You'll see in your note sheet today, it says, I crossed out heaven. Because when I think heaven, we think, oh, heaven's just about a bunch of robes and harps and all that kind of stuff. No, no. When Jesus talked about heaven, you know, when he told the story about what heaven's going to be like someday, you know what he said about it over and over again? The kingdom of heaven is like the most massive, massive, amazing party you've ever been to. And you think you've been to some great parties, Jesus goes, you're so cute. <laughs> i got a party coming for you someday that's going to just blow your mind and no regrets and no pain, no suffering, no, no evil, no, no sin, none of that. All that's going to be gone and done in pure pleasure and joy. Forevermore, he's going to say, get ready for the party. That means you prepare yourself with purity, with perseverance and productivity. And in Revelation twenty two seventeen, the last thing in Revelation, after he gives these great big visions of Jesus coming back and evil being banished forever and this new home of righteousness and purity and joy and pleasure evermore, Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who uh, hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely 
from the water of life. It's an invitation that says, if you're not a Christian today, come to the party. God's got a party he wants to invite you to, this journey of discovering and following Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, the call of God is to come. Because he's coming back someday to have this big, massive kingdom of God party. He's saying, get in on this. We can talk to you about that on the connection card that Crystal talked to you about a few minutes ago. Tell us about that. What your next steps of faith might be for you. And then, as the band comes up, we're not done yet, so don't leave. And don't, don't keep stuff out here. C.S. Lewis, years, uh, years ago, wrote a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia about these children that go into this magical world of Narnia and they meet Aslan, the lion who is, symbolizes Jesus. You don't have to even be a Christian to realize, oh, he's talking about Jesus here. And all the Chronicles of Narnia, there's seven books here. These are not just for children. These are for adults. I'm telling you, if you've never read them, make it a priority to turn off Netflix for a while and read something. But in the last book, it's talking about, it's called, it's called The Last Battle. It's symbolically talking about Revelation. And the children there meet Aslan. And you know it's going to be the end of the book because there's no more pages left. <laughs> Aslan is talking to the children, to Lucy. And he says, yet, Lucy, you do not look yet so happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. And you've sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped. And a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.